You're listening to Fiercely Courageous Conversations with Dr. Rebecca Ray and Monica Cade. This is a monthly podcast to help you rise above fear and express yourself authentically. Our intention is to create real conversations and explore why many women hold themselves back from being all that they are. Hello and welcome to episode 7 of the Fiercely Courageous Conversations podcast with Dr. Rebecca Ray and myself, Monica Cade. Our aim is to provide thoughtful insight around how as women we limit ourselves from truly expressing who we are and how this manifests into our professional and personal lives. Episode 7 is tackling that big topic that seems to bother a huge part of society. We're talking about being enough. Now, being enough seems to be a crippling factor when it comes to going after our dreams, putting ourselves and our work out there, and can also spur feelings of inadequacy in our relationships. So why do we feel this way? What do we do about it? And can we shift this? Beck and I are here to dissect this fear and help you realize that you are enough. So let's get started. Hello, Beck. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. I am too. What a great topic. Well, actually, it's not a great topic. <laughs> I think it's a heavy topic. It's a heavy <laughs> I think topic. I should rephrase that. I mean, it's an important topic. Yes, I like that. It's an important topic. Yeah. Definitely. It's amazing how much of our society is crippled by this. Yeah, absolutely. And I I love that you say our society because I think it is a society large problem, mm. but I also think it's a very internal problem too. So we have this situation where we're affected by feelings of not being good enough or lack of self-worth um, internally. So there's this our inner world where this conversation goes on about us not being good enough Um, like an intra-conversation, intrapersonal conversation. And then there's the interpersonal conversation that goes on in our culture and in our society at large where we compare to other people and feel not good enough. So I think this this particular topic is incredibly pervasive. Mm, Absolutely. It causes so much of our emotional distress and keeps so many of us small and doesn't let us live courageously. Exactly. And that's the reason why we needed to cover this podcast, because what we're about is looking at these things that show up that either help or hinder us to live more courageously. And I think this is possibly the biggest one that gets in the way of us being able to do just that. And also, I feel like it's the reason I have a job. So um, the vast majority of clients walk through my door because on some level, they're not feeling good enough. So when you do have clients coming through your door, how? what's the first way that you would deal with something like this? Well, I don't jump straight into strategy, strategies, yeah. um, put it that way. I think where we start is looking at where um, those lack of uh, self-worth feelings come from. So we look at the messages that the person has received. We look at the stories that they've developed about themselves and we start to identify what is this thing and how are they perceiving it in their life so that all of a sudden they've decided that they're actually, let me rephrase that. It's never all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. Um, but so that they've decided about themselves that they're not good enough. Mm-hmm. So it, so the initial stages, it's identification, I guess, and being able to make sense of those stories and where they fit and where they've come from. Do you feel like in your professional experience that a lot of this comes from childhood? I think a lot of it definitely starts in childhood. Whether or not it's that childhood is the reason itself, mm-hmm. um, I think is debatable. So 
I guess, as a species at large from the 100,000 years ago mm. when we're roaming out on the savannah as, as part of the clan, uh, one of the reasons we start to doubt whether or not we measure up is because it's all about belonging. Mm. And belonging is related to survival, or at least it was. Mm. So once upon a time, our survival as part of a clan was essential, obviously, which meant that if we didn't belong or if we were doing something to compromise the clan's safety or the clan's well-being, then we ran the risk that we'd be killed or kicked out, in which case we'd probably die anyway because we couldn't survive alone. So it's these feelings of not good enough, these feelings of the need to belong and the need to be approved of by the clan are incredibly biological. Mm. So they exist in our DNA. The need to belong, the need to be good enough exists in our DNA. Mm. So that's where it comes from first. Just mm. to be a human is to want to belong and want to be good enough. But secondly, then there's all the other reasons that it can show up. Childhood, you might have had caregivers who sent you messages about what made you good enough and what didn't make you good enough. You might have had significant school experiences or significant friendship experiences which helped you to decide on what um, things about you added to your worth or took away from your worth. And then, of course, there's the messages from the media that we're exposed to on a daily basis mm. which helped help us to come to conclusions about what defines our worth and what doesn't. Mm. It's interesting, as you were talking, it just reminded me a little bit about, I can't remember which episode we talked about it in, but comparison and how that's, I think, fuels a lot of the discomfort that we feel about not being good enough because we're constantly comparing our lives. And today it's so much easier because we've got social media. You can just jump on Instagram and have a look through the different feeds and, and see all these people that appear to have a certain life and appear to be really happy in their lives. And then we do this internal uh, reference check to see if our lives are matching up to that. And for a lot of the time, they probably don't because, you know, what people post isn't always the exact truth. We never post when we're on our knees going through the thick of it all. We don't share that kind of stuff. So, and I'm pretty sure our listeners are also aware of that. Like many of them probably know that, yes, you know, the social media feeds are the highlight reel. Mm. But I think the more we can become self-aware of our own feelings of inadequacy, then we have the opportunity to start stepping away from not being good enough or and, and everything that comes with that. Because I also think um, not being good enough is like this big core seed and then our mind starts to spin off stories whereby we think, oh, I'm unlikable, I'm unlovable, I'm not talented, talented or capable. And then, you know, we, we critique our bodies, we critique our careers, our family and all those sorts of things. Yes, I couldn't agree more. I think one of the things about c comparison, though, is that we can know that we're doing it. We can mm -hmm. also know you can have an intellectual understanding about the fact that somebody has only posted their highlight reel on mm -hmm. social media, but it doesn't necessarily mean you can turn off being affected by it. Mm. So it's, it's very much a, a process 
I guess, of cultivating a healthy relationship with oneself and working on that while still understanding that you we remain human. Mm. You can't turn off being human and you can't turn off this need to belong. It's about where we put it and what we do with it and how much we let it define us. So when I was talking earlier about where these feelings come from, I guess it's about understanding, like you say, stepping back from it and acknowledging it for what it is. So it might be a mind story or it might simply be a message that your father sent to you, um, you know, unconsciously for the duration of your childhood. And if you can see it as that, then it doesn't mean that it disappears. So Mm -hmm. we can't turn this stuff off, Mm -hmm. but it can change the way that you respond to it so that it no longer makes you shrink and it no longer defines what you choose to be your goals or even how you see yourself. I mean, the ultimate goal is to be able to walk away and go, my self-worth just is. It's not measured on any particular yardstick. Mm. But for me, um, I, I have to be honest, like I've done eight years at university for psychology training and I still have a need to belong. You know, you can't switch this off. This is innate. Mm. And so it's more about being able to work with this process of continually coming back to my worth is just, it just is. And then around that, I'm going to live by my values. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I think that sense of belonging that you talk about, I think it also comes down to, it's a very popular, popular, let me try that one more time, popularized (laughs) term of self-love as well. Mm. I think that really comes into it. I think the more we can, like you say, realise that everything just is, our self-worth just is, and the love, we are loved no matter what, even in those times where we feel like we're not. I think they are the stepping stones to maybe changing that mindset of not being good enough. The the thing that showed up for me then, I want to share something with you about self-love. Mm-hmm because I went through this phase where I was really trying to uh, broadcast messages about Mm self-love and cultivate self-love in myself. Mm -hmm. And I found a block. And the block, I think, if I was to define it, was is best described as being love was too big a word. It was too overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So the idea of having to love myself or encourage people to love themselves when they were in the depths of self-criticism seemed to be too much of a leap. Mm -hmm. And so I shifted and I started to change the language to, I wonder if you could befriend yourself. Mm. So it's kind of like a Mm self-like. What if we could change the way that we approached ourselves to get to a point where we go, okay, I'm going to speak to myself in a friendly way. I'm going to relate to myself as a friend would. Mm -hmm. And it just seemed to be so much more workable than love because love seemed big, overwhelming and required a lot of effort to sustain. Whereas when it came back to just treating yourself as a friend would, there's a softer, gentler approach there. Mm, yes, and we've we've spoken about that soft, gentle approach with ourselves in a couple of episodes, I think. Mm. I'll ask you, though, so having that realisation for yourself, 
then how did you put that into motion? Because if the internal self-talk for a certain amount of time has been unkind or harsh, then to, I guess you were aware that you wanted to change it, which I feel like is the first step of anything. You, you mm. really desired for that change. So how did you move towards changing the dialogue that you were having with yourself? Well, the first thing that I um, would say there is it's not a past tense thing. Mm-hmm. So it's not something I, I did I or have done and therefore I reached a destination and I'm there mm. and I'm speaking about this topic as someone who has achieved some particular um, tick box yeah. of feelings of good enough. So it's an ongoing process for me and it's an ongoing conversation. So you're right, the first thing was an awareness and I think what I became, I think, no, it was a feeling. I became frustrated. So I started to see just how much I was holding myself back. Mm-hmm. Nobody else was. Mm-hmm. It was me. Yeah. And it was really getting in the way of my own authenticity and my own way of showing up in the world. So once I realised that, um, I resolved to work on changing it. So I won't say change it because, again, that yeah. feels finite. It feels like something that you do on one or two occasions and then you're done. This is a daily process for me. Mm. And so what I what I work on around feelings of good enough is to keep coming back to this conversation within that is kind and accepting but not. it doesn't allow me to cop out. Yeah. So there's still a difference. There's, it's not like I'm constantly going, oh, you know what, um, you can just have the day off because you feel like it. Yeah, of course. But, but it might be a conversation like, um, you know, this article has to be written and my mind is saying you can't do this, um, you won't write quality, the magazine won't like what you've written, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And my response to that will be, actually, you can do this even if your mind wants to argue the point. Mm. So I've seen you do this before and how about you just sit down and give it a go? Mm. So there's a there's a different approach and I, I think I constantly remind myself that what I see the messages around me, whether they be from significant others in my life, because you'll notice that significant people in our lives just speak their own stories Mm. (laughs) and it's very easy to get caught up in their stories and make them our own. And Mm. so I try to always be aware um, about not catching other people's stories and applying them to myself and then... um, being aware of what society gives me to chew on every single day. Mm. And most of that information I don't like. So I and when I say I don't like it, I mean I don't like the impact it has on me. So I don't like being told that I need to measure up to a certain body standard or I need to look a certain way or the grey hair that is my consistent regrowth now somehow makes me, you know, less worthy or that, you know, unless I have a certain bank balance, then I haven't made it. Mm. I don't, none of those things make me feel good. And so I tend to then have a different approach to that information to acknowledge that that information is not good for my soul. And Mm. I go and seek different information in response to that. Mm. Which is so wonderful because that is where you have control. Like we all have a choice as to what we, you know, surround ourselves with and what kind of topics and what kind of information we expose ourselves to. So 
I think that's a really good uh, way that just our listeners can just take immediate steps to changing how they feel about themselves, just becoming more aware of what what are you exposing yourself to on a daily basis. And if that's not lifting you and inspiring you, then maybe seek out something else. And I want to go back to something else you said in terms of other people's stories and making them your own. I think that's so, so important to touch on because I'm for myself, I'm always very mindful if there's something going on for me about who I discuss it with because I'm also very aware that there will be certain people who may then bring their own fears, insecurities in their response to what I have to say. They may offer solutions, but they're coming from their perspective, their experiences and their own insecurities as well. So I think that it's so, so important. You know, sometimes I might decide that I don't want to discuss this with someone. I, you know, I really want to go within and try find the answer for myself. And then if I can't, then maybe I'll seek out someone who I feel is able to just hold the space for me and help me navigate that without giving me their opinion and their fears and thoughts. So So incredibly important. You're talking about those safe people, the people that you, you have some experience of how they'll respond to sensitive information or information that's affected you in the past and sharing with them has proved to be an enriching, enriching experience rather than one that could potentially be more hurtful. Mm, Exactly. The other thing that I feel about this topic when we are speaking to other people around us or to be mindful is that a lot of people will give you the immediate solution to your perceived problem. For example, if maybe you're going through financial issues, certain people probably will give you the answers of, well, you could go and do this, you could go and do this and you could go and do this. And I feel like for a lot of the time when we are going through some sort of crisis, we know the immediate actions we can take. But I feel sometimes the the thing that we're going through is an opportunity for us to dive a little bit deeper and get to know ourselves a bit more and go through a growth period so that we can maybe overcome this particular pattern that maybe keeps repeating itself in our lives and I think if we share those moments with the wrong people then we're just going to get caught up again in the same spiral rather than okay why is this presenting itself again and you know how do I really feel about it and exploring those feelings to possibly move through it in a different way. That's a great point and it makes me think of times of transformation and how we can easily make that difficult growth period where we're in it or in in the in-between and we make that mean or we can make that mean something about ourselves so we could make it mean that we've failed or we've made a mistake or we have regrets or we we aren't where we want to be and if we make that mean I'm not good enough then it can really get in the way of that period of growth and transformation. So I think it's such an important point to understand 
that to be able to understand that you have worth as a person, you don't need to be perfect mm. and you don't you don't need to be there. There's still plenty of room for evolution and plenty of room to learn and to repair mistakes when they occur, to rebound from failures and to keep going. So self-worth is not a destination where you get to a point and you go, I'm done, I've done all the growing. In fact, I think... Uh, self-worth is a far more expansive place than that, where what we can do is we give ourselves room to make mistakes and room to not be perfect and room for learning so that our personal evolution is perpetual. Mm, yes, absolutely. As you were speaking, I thought of a, a very uh, close story of my own. I thought I might share it with everyone because it may hold some value. Yeah. So for 11 years, I went through an eating disorder. And what I want to share about this, this was like a very interesting internal realization that I had. So while I was going into it, the thought process was, if I get skinnier, smaller and smaller, the more love that I will receive, and then I will be good enough. Mm -hmm. And then I got very unwell and I was, you know, at a very light weight, very sick. And I remember being at that point and realizing that I don't feel any different. I didn't feel any different from where and when I was healthy to then on the inside. And that's when it dawned on me. I was like, it doesn't matter what I do on the external, this feeling within me, this feeling of not being enough is going to be there regardless of what my body looks like. Mm. And having that realisation isn't enough for it to just necessarily change. So then I had that experience of it. And then later on, when I was like pretty much, I was much more well and I was on the road to recovery and I was pretty much towards the end of recovery, I also then did a, a bodybuilding competition. And so I was training a lot and... There's a certain, you know, you have to eat a particular way and you have to train a lot and you have to be around a certain percentage of body fat. And then what I noticed was at that point was there's so many women that strive to have a particular body shape. And probably around that time when I was training so much, I had this ideal body shape that many people strive for. And I had the realisation again, I was like, wow, now I'm in a different place where maybe I'm on the other end of the spectrum. And I realised, I was like, so I have this body, but I don't feel any different. I don't feel like it makes me better or worse. Yeah, and wow. Having those two experiences really allowed me to go, you know what, I'm not my body. And however I look, despite however I change, and it it's not reflective of who I am. And unless I address the feelings of inadequacy or not being enough, then they're going to be there regardless. So that was a really nice experience to have that contrast. And I guess I wanted to share that because possibly, you know, maybe it will trigger an aha moment for someone else where if you are striving for something on the external, maybe even related to your body, it's not about the outside, it's about the inside. I think that's such a powerful powerful example. Thanks for sharing that because I agree. It's about those realisations. It's about those moments where you 
come to an understanding that what's happening outside of you doesn't change what's happening inside of you. The inside's got to change first for you to feel differently. Mm. But when you have those real-life experiences like, you know, you so clearly tested out um, different ways of looking, you know, so body image stuff, and probably did so unconsciously at the time, Mm. you're in a position where you have proof. You have proof that in those states, those completely um, disparate states, it didn't make a difference to how you felt inside. You had to do the work internally to make that difference. Mm, Exactly. And I know our listeners, some people might be thinking, okay, well, that's great, but how how do I address this inside? Is there something that you can share in terms of how people can address the inside? Yeah. So the first thing that I would encourage people to do is be aware of what your mind is saying. Mm-hmm. So I guess the good news and perhaps the surprising news for some of our listeners, probably not all, is that you are not your mind. So the same that you're the same way that you're not your body, you just said before, I'm not my body. Mm. You're also not your mind. Mm. So if you think of your mind like an organ, like your heart, your heart beats to pump blood around your your body, pump oxygen through your blood. You wouldn't say, look, I'm just my heart or I'm just my liver. Mm. or I'm just my left kneecap, you are a collection of those things the same way that you are also um, your mind makes up part of you, but it's not who you are. So you are the bigger part of you that can observe all of you. Mm. So it's it's a separate state to be in, which means that you can stop and observe what your mind is saying. And once you observe what your mind is saying, you have the power to buy into it or not. So there's choice there. If you don't know what your mind is saying and you just allow it to play automatically, there is no choice. Mm. So there's no there's no separation and that means that you can easily take your mind's um, chatter as gospel and use it to further define you and argue that what it says goes. Mm. But I don't know whether you've noticed, I certainly have noticed my mind is not all that reliable and, in fact, um, so unreliable that if I really let it define me on a day-to-day basis, I'd get nothing done. Like, absolutely. I would just get nothing done. Yeah. I'd, I'd be completely paralysed um, because it has a tendency to just run away. And if I ran with it, the I wouldn't feel very happy most of the time. And so this is about being able to get separation. And then when it's talking in a self-critical way or a disparaging way or it's... Um, encouraging you to stay within your comfort zone and not explore um, the potential of what's outside of it. You have a choice around that in terms of how you respond. Mm -hmm. You can understand that it's just mind chatter, which is going to be there 24-7 for the rest of your life and therefore do something powerful with your actions despite it, Mm -hmm. or you can buy into it and stay stuck. Yeah, exactly. And it was beautiful how you mentioned that if you were to listen to your mind chatter, then you wouldn't be a very happy person. What I really like about that is it's showing me that and our listeners that feeling good isn't attached to what our mind says. Like we have a power to override that. Sometimes the feelings are there, but again, like we're not those emotions and we can still take action despite what we're feeling. And a lot of the time, that then changes our state, which shows us that we're not those emotions either. And 
I think, you know, it, it all comes together beautifully, like recognizing, I guess, through more self-awareness that we're not our body, we're not our emotions, we're not our mind. And even the things that are happening in our life, like the circumstances that appear so real and challenging at that time, we're not those things either. So I think the more we can become the observer. And I think that takes practice too. I think I think trying to make that into something that we achieve is not the right way about it too. You know, I'm going to try be the observer and and not do that anymore. I think that then turns it into a destination thing again. Whereas over time there are I think our thoughts also help us along the way, you know, and at the right time, we become the observer in certain aspects of our lives. For example, when I was going through my illness, a lot of the time I was completely entangled in those thoughts and I wasn't Mm. aware. However, there were moments where there was that separation. I was able to observe the behaviors, but I wasn't strong enough at that point yet to not, not listen and not take action on those behaviors. But over time, the more I observed the behavior, I was able to separate myself from it and I had a choice to choose to go down that path or take the path that less traveled, for example. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that your mind has miraculously fixed itself or you've fixed it to constantly cheerlead you. So one of the things that I think is important for our listeners to understand is that it's not as simple as just paying, saying positive things about yourself. Mm. So you don't treat a full-blown eating disorder by saying, I am a good person, I am a good person, I am a good person. Mm. Yeah. Now, mantras might work for some people, but I don't use them in my clinical work because I don't feel like they're effective in the long term. Mm. Instead, I'd much prefer our listeners to understand that your mind is going to do whatever it wants to do on a day-to-day basis. Mm. Your power comes in how you respond to that, not in trying to force it to be a certain way. So if you spend, you can imagine the effort involved. If you had to spend each day time trying to force your mind to just think positively all the time, it's especially about yourself and about your worth. The amount of work that that would take and the amount of effort, I'm just not interested in that effort because I don't think it's sustainable and because I'm inherently lazy. So a much more powerful way of responding is to be able to go, well, despite what mood my mind is in today, despite whether or not my mind is on board with what I'm about to do or not, I can still go ahead and do it. I can still go ahead and create this life of value in this life of meaning um, and be able to bring richness into my life despite its chatter or not. Mm. And I'm not saying your mind's never helpful because sometimes it is. I'm just Mm. saying that it's fairly random. And if it's up to you to make it perfect, you're going to struggle. Yes. So instead I'm saying stop the struggle, step out of the struggle Mm. and instead choose to not engage in the war and go about your life anyway because what you have power to do is to create your life despite how you think and what you feel. Mm. And then, you know, after time you'll find that the more you focus on your actions being in line with your values, the better you feel anyway. Mm. And if anyone listening is hearing us say, you know, be the observer but, not quite really getting it. I think what Beck just said just then, that's a beautiful example. Your mind is going to go all the time. It's never going to stop. And you really do have, that's where your choice is. You can choose to follow it or not. 
And I think that's really the most powerful action you can take towards anything in your life, but also improving that, you know, idea, not improving, that's not the right word, to maybe stepping out of that idea that you're not good enough. Yep. Yeah. You got it. Awesome. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up our episode today, Beck? No, I think that's a good point to end on, Mon. I don't want to overwhelm listeners by making this this too complex because it's not. Yeah. It's just a process and it's ongoing. Mm. If you do have any questions about this topic, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact Beck and I at Monica Cade and at Dr. Rebecca Ray because we know this is a big topic and, as always, we're very happy to continue the conversation further after each episode. Yes, we'd love to hear from you. And I think with this topic in particular, it's one of those topics where I don't know anyone who hasn't suffered in some way about their thoughts about being enough. So to our listeners, if you felt something in this conversation and you know someone who would benefit from hearing this conversation, please share this podcast with them in the hope that it will just change one person's day just to be involved in this conversation with us. In our last episode, we shared with you a link with gifts from both of us, and we hope that you loved it. We're over halfway now in terms of our episodes and looking forward to the episodes to come. But when we're talking about being enough, it's probably the biggest topic that we've talked about. Please know that we share um, the difficulties and we share the hope around this that we can continue to live courageously while still addressing the struggle that shows up every now and again. Mm. Beautifully said. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode and we look forward to seeing you next month. Bye.